0: Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 96. We're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 96 this evening. And we're really going to focus on missions, because I love missions. And we're going to focus on global missions. But I want to tell you right from the start that at Longview Point, we do not do global missions at the expense of local missions or vice versa. We are across the street and an around the world kind of church. We want to be involved right here in the community that God has placed us in and all around the world. And so I want to tell you that you have an opportunity to be a part of the across the street part this Saturday. This Saturday, we're going to be taking these little door hangers. I've got a whole bunch of them. 10 o'clock, going to meet here. And for an hour and a half, two hours, we are going to canvas this city. This community that God has placed us in. And we're going to invite them to come and be a part of our Vacation Bible School. And then on the other side, there is an invitation. If they don't already have a church home, to come and join us on a Sunday morning. Got some church information there. This is a non-intimidating way that you can be a part of uh, just sharing God's love in this community. So at 10 o'clock on Saturday, come meet us here. We're going to split up and we're going to head out. And knock on some doors and say, just share that there's a church in this town that has a wonderful free VBS for them and would welcome them on any Sunday they could come. And then we'll hang those door hangers. So, a great opportunity for us to be involved right here where God has us. But I want us to look tonight at a bigger scope and the scope of salvation. And redemption, as you look through this book, as you look through God's word, has always been global in nature. The scope of salvation and redemption has always been global in nature. Even some places as far away and remote as Hernando, Mississippi. 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, as these stories are unfolding in scripture, Hernando was a pretty remote kind of place But God had it on his mind. And there are still places that we would consider remote all over this world. Nations that God has a heart for and has a plan for. You see it there at the very beginning in Genesis 12 when God speaks to Abram and says, Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. It was always with the purpose of being a blessing to the nations. And, of course, in Matthew 28, Acts 1-8 in the New Testament, you see Jesus speaking, giving the Great Commission, the king giving his last marching orders to go and make disciples of all nations. And God has made you, God has made this church to have a global heart, a heart for all the nations. And I want to just look through this psalm, this evening, Psalm 96, and see what we can draw from this refrain, this chorus, this song about what God would have for us when it comes to the nations. So let's look at Psalm 96, and I'm just going to read through this whole psalm, Psalm 96, beginning there in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. In his faithfulness. And I want to look at three things tonight. From this that I believe we are to be involved in. That we are to do with regard to the nations. With regard to the nations. The first that I see there is in verses 2 and 3. We are to tell of his salvation. And declare God's glory. We are to tell of his salvation. And declare God's glory. Do you see it there? Verses 2 and 3, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So as we tell of his salvation and declare God's glory, what's the frequency with which we ought to do that? What is the frequency with which we ought to do that? How often? It's right there in verse 2, from day to day. Today, daily, his salvation, the gospel, the good news, is on to be, is to be on our lips, to be spoken, to be proclaimed. Daily in our lives, wherever God has us, we are to be speaking truths from his word, his goodness, our testimony of what God has done in our lives. We're to be speaking it into the lives of those around us. But how can we here in Hernando, Mississippi, Have the nations on our mind daily? How can we engage the nations daily on that regular basis? Well, one way I believe we can do that is by praying daily for the telling and declaration of His glory. Be praying for it. We pray. And prayer is so vital. Prayer is so vital. If you study... And throughout history, the history of missions and the history of God's movements and revivals throughout history, prayer has always been foundational to the mighty works of God. Prayer has always been fundamental and foundational. It is so vital. And you know, I think sometimes in our American kind of microwave instant culture, we can get to be about the, what's urgent. And what's imminent, what's right there, rather than, than the important sometimes. And investing in those important foundational things of prayer. And we see all through scripture, of course, that we're called to pray for the spread of the gospel. You see Jesus there in Matthew 9. He says, pray for the workers to go into the harvest. And all through Paul's letters, you see this constant appeal as he's in these letters that Paul's writing to pray for him. In uh, Colossians 4, Paul asked the people there in Colossae to pray for an open door and that he'd be able to present the gospel clearly. In Ephesians 6, he says, uh, he asked for prayer that he'd be given words to boldly proc- proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he asked the, the church there to pray that the gospel would spread rapidly. So, how are we to we we to pray for the nations from right here in Hernando? I think one of them, firstly, is just to pray globally. We're to pray globally in our scope of our prayer life. Are you praying for the nations in your prayer life? Do you have that woven in to your daily prayer life? Are you praying for world leaders or the things that are going on in the news and all around us? We're to pray globally. We're also to p- pray strategically and specifically, I believe. Strategically. We can be strategic in our prayer. You know, it's, uh, I, it's so sweet to see, hear a kid to pray, God bless the missionaries. But we can pray specifically and strategically. We can do more than that. There are some great websites and resources available. Things like Joshua Project. I would encourage you, check out joshuaproject.org sometime. Pray for the people groups on there. Or peoplegroups.org, another great resource if you want to know how you can pray for the nations and get informed on some of these different people groups. And then also at 545 on Wednesday evenings, right before here, there's a small group of us that gather in room 106 or 107, whichever one we can find open. Come and join us. Every Wednesday, we pray for those that have gone out from this church. Those that are going and serving. And we pray for specific uh, needs that uh, that are in our church. And so I would encourage you to come and join us in praying specifically and strategically on Wednesday nights at 545. That's my plug for that. Um, Also, we can pray confidently. We can pray confidently. We know the end, right? We've read it. Revelation 7, what an amazing picture. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around the throne singing praises to the Lord on his throne. We can pray confidently. We can pray confidently for the nations. So the frequency is daily. Daily we are to have the good news on our lips We're to keep the nations on our hearts. But then what is the extent? What is the extent of this declaring of God's glory? Look at verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. All of them. Every one of them. We are to declare God's goodness and His glory amongst all the peoples. And folks, there are a lot of peoples in this world of 7 billion individual people. There are a lot of peoples, people groups. You can look at different resources and different things. But just in general, there are about 11,000 people groups in this world we live in. 11,000 people groups In this world, some of them are tiny, just a few hundred people in a remote jungle corner or on a tropical island. Some of them are millions, tens of millions of people on the subcontinent of India. But there are about 11,000 people groups in the world today. Approximately 7,000 of those are unreached people groups that we'd consider unreached people groups, where 2% or less are believers in Christ, are followers of Jesus. 7,000 of the 11,000 unreached, 2% or less. And of those 7,000, 3,000 are completely unengaged with the gospel. 3,000 are completely unengaged, no missionary. No gospel witness, no believer amongst that people group. That is a massive number of people who have yet to hear. And let me just tell you that those unengaged are unengaged for a reason. It's because they're hard. <laughs> they're hard to get to, maybe because of geopolitical uh, circumstances. Maybe they're in war-torn areas, um, militant Muslim areas, or maybe they're just remoteness, just physically hard to get to. But they are lost and completely unengaged. And I tell you, for me, all of that was just numbers for a long time. It was numbers. But God did something in my life one time to really show me and personalize some of those numbers for me. And I just wanted to share this story of when I was uh, a journeyman, Serving for uh, two and a half years after college in uh, Southeast Asia. I went to a country called Burma, uh, Myanmar. And I flew in from Thailand into Rangoon, the capital city, Yangon. And then I took a train. I took a train all the way up to a city called Mandalay. And was, uh, it was a long train ride up to Mandalay. And there is no bay in Mandalay, it is as uh, far away from a bay as you can imagine, and we got there and then from there, I took a bus, an overnight bus to another place, uh, much farther up the road and that was the end of the road, but found an old willie 's jeep from world war ii that somebody had kept up and this old gentleman drove that willy's jeep and i got him to drive me for about eight hours up dirt roads to an even more remote area been traveling a long time and then from there we hiked for three days over mountains on paths and to, uh, i mean it just felt like you're about to fall off the edge of the world went a long way out there and i was tired I was craving some American food and something good, and I walked into that village. And there in that village, as I was walking in, there was a little shop front on the front of a house, and I could see it this glass bottle that looked like it had been sitting there a long time, and it had a red label on it, and it said Coke. Coca Cola. And I got so excited. It was dusty, and it was hot, and I didn't care. And I walked up, and I said, I want that bottle of Coca-Cola. How much money you want? And they got that for me and popped it open, and I sat down and drank that Coke, and it was so good. It was so good. But as I drank that Coke in that remote place, God struck me with something um, That really impacted me. And it was the fact that I was in that village. There was no church. There was no believer. As far as I know the gospel had never been proclaimed in that place. But in about 200 years. Less than 200 years. Coca-Cola had managed to get its product. To that place. But in 2000 years the good news of Jesus Christ. Had not gotten to that Palau village. And that Palang people group was an unreached people group. And that just personalized it in my life. When I saw that, that it wasn't just 3,000 people groups. No, there was the Palang people of northern Burma who needed Jesus. They had coke, but they didn't have scripture. And it impacted my heart. And I want to tell you, though, that was long. I was 15 years ago almost. Today, there are believers amongst the Palang people. There was a missionary who went and he took his family and he invested his life amongst those people. And there are now baptized Palauan believers. And there's a church and they're seeking to spread the gospel amongst their own people. And see, that's God's plan. Not that there would be 3,000 people groups unreached, but that every people group would hear the good news. And that's what we see the promise of in Revelation 7 is that there are going to be people from the Palauan And every other people group around this world gathered around the throne, worshiping the Lord. So why do we go? Why do we go? Verses 4 through 6. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's why we go, because he's great. He's good and he's worthy of worship. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. God is greater than all the gods. He is greater than all the gods. And he cannot be put on parallel or on par with any idol or any other little g-god. He cannot. And I want to look just for a second tonight... Look in Samuel, just flip over there with me, let's look in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 5. Let's just see what happens when other little gods are put up against and on par with and parallel to Jehovah, the I am, creator God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 5. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon, the god of their people. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they did what you have to do with a little G god, it's carved of stone or wood. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon, and both his hands were laying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. That is why the priests of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So what happens when you try and set up a little G-god next to the creator God? They fall down. They fall down. That's really a comical little picture in my mind of God demonstrating his power. And if you continue to read over the next verses, it's less comical and much more severe. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. They end up giving the ark back. They don't want any more to do with that. You see, God is God alone. There are no others. He's not a chapter in a book, the God of Christianity, the God of Islam, the gods of Hinduism. There is one God, one creator God, and He alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be praised. And there is nothing more heartbreaking than seeing a young mom bow down before an idol or a young boy In a Buddhist temple bowing down before a carved idol. And what these verses say is that he will not tolerate that. That God alone is to be worshipped. And that we are to declare his glory. Because he's great. That's the reason that we are to declare his glory. And then, not only are we to declare his glory, tell of his salvation. But we are also to invite the nations to worship him. We are to invite the nations to worship him. Look at verses 7 through 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That is an incredible invitation. That is an amazing invitation invitation that's given here at the time it was here in the old testament to all the peoples to come into the courts come worship him in his holiness come and worship the lord you know when i read that it just in my mind i I just look ahead and it pictures in my mind when the veil was torn Wade preached about that not too many weeks ago when that veil was torn and that open access to all peoples to come into his holy presence through the shed blood of Christ. And I just see that incredible invitation here. All peoples, come. Come and worship him in the courts. Come and worship him in his holiness. It's amazing. And as a church, we are to be intentional And we're seeking to be strategic in inviting the nations to come and worship Him. We as a church need to be about this. To be intentional in inviting the nations to come and worship Him. To worship Him because He alone is worthy of worship. John Piper puts it this way, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. There are places in the world that are not worshiping God. They should be. They are not. We need to go and say there is one God who is to be worshiped above idols because he is great. He is the creator. He is the redeemer of all people. You need to place your faith and your trust in him. And so missions exist because worship does not. But what are two ways that we can invite the nations, that we can invite the nations to worship him? One is through giving. Generous giving. And I see that reflected in our budget in amazing ways. Did you know that every dollar that is put in the offering plate at Longview Point Baptist Church, almost 23 cents of that goes out for the mission? And that is an incredible percentage. It really is. And that does not include our Lottie Moon giving. That does not include our national um, offering giving, our Annie Armstrong giving. This church is an incredibly generous church, and you are an incredibly generous people. You are. And it is amazing to me when I've just had some folks ask me since I started here, uh, missions pastor at Longview Point, "What what do they do for Lottie Moon? What do they give towards international missions? And when I tell people, their jaw hits the floor. It is incredible what this church does to support international missions. I, I believe we're in the, I need to confirm this with Wade, but I know we're in the top 100 in the nation. I believe we're in the top 50 in the nation in giving towards international missions to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And that's because of the generosity of you guys. It's amazing to me. And what that does, it allows people to go and to invite people to share the good news. to. Tell the good news of Jesus. It allows that. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church where the budget reflects the priority of mission, outreach, evangelism, and church planning. I am so thankful to be a part of that. But not only by giving can we invite the nations to worship him, but by sending. By sending. By sending people out from this church. By going. We invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are three types of sending that I see this church doing and that I pray we will continue to do, that we will continue to do. The first is long-term, long-term going. That's the one-way ticket kind of going. That's the one where you can't take enough granola bars or Charmin toilet paper. That's where you go and you don't look back. And we've had people from this church do that. And praise God that he is doing that here. And I pray that he will send more out to go in that long-term, one-way ticket kind of way. Folks like the Clintys, Trey and Megan, who would take their family and their kids and buy that one-way ticket and go and say, we're going to go plan our life in South Asia in a difficult place for his glory. To invite the peoples to worship him. Folks like the Darnells who would go to South America, to Ecuador. Say, we'll go. I'll go invest my life there, learn language, pour into families there, disciple people there so that God would receive the glory and honor that he's due." And listen, not only around the world, but also right here in our own nation. Stephanie K. Carson up there in frigid old South Dakota. I down here where it's warm. They're up there and God is using them in amazing ways. Amazing ways. And um, the Williams in D.C., the Crowsons getting ready to start there in Sioux City, Iowa. There are people going out from this church in that long-term kind of way to go and to share and invest in their lives in those places. And then there are also what I would call midterm, kind of that two-month to two-year Kind of range of going. There are people that go out from this church. On Sunday we are going to get to commission a young lady. A junior in high school. Cecilia Belk. Who is going for two months. June and July to East Asia. Going to spend her summer there. What should I do with my summer? A junior in high school might ask herself. Why don't I go to East Asia? Share the gospel there in that place. Isn't that awesome? We are going to be able to send out people like that. Or Michael and Rebecca Emerson went for two years to Southeast Asia uh, there. Said, you know what? We can put our jobs on hold for a little while. Put our house up for rent. We're going to go and we're going to do it. Go and invest years of their life there in Southeast Asia. By the way, they're leaving tomorrow to take a short-term team back to that place. Heading out to go. And then we can also send short-term teams. Teams that go for uh, less than two months, usually a week, ten days, two weeks, teams that go. And we've got teams going, y'all. We, uh, the Uganda team arrived safely. The last post I saw, uh, they were about four hours away from their final destination, enjoying some Ice water and some. I think they've found one last place to to get French fries before they get to the back of Beyond. And they are on their way and doing well. And of course, the Emersons are taking a team, leaving tomorrow. And we've got teams heading out this fall to Southeast Asia. We've got teams going to the Middle East. Got a team going to the Middle East this fall. And there are opportunities to go. And we're going to keep going. We're going to keep sending teams to go and to invite the nations to worship him. And listen, when we go uh, on short-term teams, one of the things I want to say about that is we're not trying to go and make a big splash, get on the plane, leave, and come home. What we are purposing to do with our short-term teams is to go in a short-term trip and to take a team to come alongside, a short-term team, to come asi- alongside a long-term strategy of people on the field who are there working towards long-term goals of church planting and seeing disciples made. And so we go and we work with IMB missionaries. We go and we work with national believers in those places. We're not trying to go make a big show for ourselves and then pull out. We want to go and partner where there are people in these places um we're going to we got a team going to japan i forgot about that one we're headed out there in july i'm excited about that we're headed there as well so we are going and we are partnering with people all over and let me just tell you that's what we should be doing that's what every church ought to be doing that's what the gospel compels us to do is to go and descend and to be a part of what he's doing around the world the great commission was given to followers and disciples of Jesus. It was not given to a missions agency. It was given to the church. It was given to followers of Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful for our International Mission Board and the organization that it is. But it exists not to do the job for us. The International Mission Board exists to facilitate us going. That's their stated purpose. I looked it up today. I actually had to memorize this when I served with them. But uh, I just looked it up again to make sure I still had it right. That the International Mission Board exists, listen, to assist the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention to be on mission with God in penetrating the unevangelized world outside the United States and Canada with the gospel and making Christ known among all peoples. You see, we don't delegate the role of missions to an organization. We are the organization to carry out God's mission. The church is God's missional sending agency. We are it. And the IMB exists to help us do that. And I'm so thankful for that and we give to them. But we are never to put the responsibility on them. The church, it's the role of the church to spread the gospel across the street, and around the world. And by the way, one of our goals at Longview Point Baptist Church is to have meaningful strategic partnerships with the nine IMB affinity groups. The nine affinity groups that the IMB has recognized and uh, created around the world. And I'm probably going to get myself in trouble trying to remember them all, but I'm going to try it. The Americas, European peoples, North Africa and the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, Central Asia, East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and the deaf peoples of the world. Those are the nine groups that they've identified. And what we as a church want to do is have meaningful partnerships with each one of those affinity groups around the world so that we can be a part of taking the gospel to all nations. Okay, and lastly, I just want to look at these last few verses in verses 10 and 13 in particular. So we're to declare his glory among the nations. We're to declare his glory among the nations. We're to invite the nations to worship him. And we're to warn of judgment. We are to warn of judgment. You see that word repeated multiple times in these last few verses. Do you see that there? Verse 10, he will judge the peoples with equity. He will judge the peoples with equity. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The last thing that I want for myself is to be judged in equity and in the righteousness of God apart from the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being judged in fairness and inequity, apart from the blood of Jesus applied to your life? Horrible. Terrifying. Tragic. And that is the reality for millions of people in our world today. That's the reality. That there's a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming from a holy God who does not turn aside from sin, who punishes sin, and it is coming. And we are to go and to warn of that judgment, to speak of it, to warn of that judgment. But not only do we warn of the coming judgment, but we should also be compelled by it. We warn of it, but we should also be compelled knowing that there is a coming judgment. When I look at motivations for missions, when I look at motivations, why go? Where does our motivation come from to go to these hard peoples, to go to these nations, to go to these places, to go across the street? Where does the motivation come from? First and foremost, and these are in order in my mind, it's first is our love for God, our love for our Father, and a desire for him to be glorified, a desire for him to be made much of because he is great. We've already looked at that. And that's our first and foremost motivation. As we look to him and his holiness and his goodness and his redemptive work that he's done in our lives, we want him to be worshiped. We want him to be glorified amongst all the nations. But another motivation that I see is our love for others, our love for God and then our love for others. Compassion. Compassion for lost people. Compassion for hurting people. Compassion for dying people who are under the judgment of God. Our hearts should break for the hurting. Listen, when a tsunami sweeps over an island, or when the earth shakes someplace and thousands die, or when a mother experiences the loss of her child, Apart from Christ, there is no framework or hope for dealing with those situations. There is none. There is hopelessness. But we have a hope. We have a peace. We have life to offer. And as we look and see those kinds of things in the world around us, our hearts should be stirred with compassion for those people. So we are motivated and we go because we love our Heavenly Father and we go because we love others, because we have His compassion that He has put in our hearts for others. We declare His glory among the nations. We invite the nations to worship Him and we warn of the judgment to come and that also compels us to go.